Well, the title of today's message is Finishing Well. And believe it or not, we're going to finish 2 Peter this morning. And we're going to do it by looking at the last two verses. 2 Peter 3, verses 17 and 18. Well, here's the truth, church. We live in pretty heady times. Times of technological advances that are simply really amazing. And lately I've been drawn to, in particular, the reality that in the near future there will be what is called self-driving cars. Maybe you've read about them in the news even recently. I mean, autopilot has been a feature on airplanes for, I mean, a long, long time, right, Tim? A long time. But autopilot is coming to a car near you. And there's a company named Newtonomy that has already started trials of self-driving taxis in Singapore. And its plans, really, to deploy self-driving taxis throughout that island state of Singapore by 2018, just over a year away. Most automotive industry experts now think that self-driving cars will be here in the U.S. by 2020, if not sooner. Mark Field, he's Ford's CEO, announced that the company plans to offer self-driving vehicles by 2021. And these vehicles will come without a steering wheel or pedals. Maybe I'm just old, but I mean, that scares me. That really scares me. But I guess with the dangers of texting and driving and all the distractions we have on the road, maybe this is a good thing. I don't know. I know that it has an appeal to, ma- to many. But what may or may not work for cars will simply not work for us as Christians. Church, we cannot live on spiritual autopilots. Oh, I know it's an appealing thought to our nature, isn't it? But it simply won't work. God has called us as men and women to put our hands on the steering wheel and our eyes on Christ. We cannot click into autopilot. In fact, there is no spiritual autopilot for the Christian. And the Apostle Peter knows that. And thus he ends his letter today, really once again by way of reminder. And his, I believe his main point from our text, verses 17 and 18, is simply this. Keep on guard and keep growing. Keep on guard, church, and keep growing. Don't fall asleep at the wheel, dear Christian. The roads are dangerous, but the destination is promising and bright. And with that in mind, let us now read the text for this morning, starting with verse 17. Which I had and just lost. So excuse me. Technology. Speaking of technology, yeah, it, it can be a blessing, but yeah, it can be a challenge. At least for people like me as well sometimes. All right, verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow 
in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, dear living word, we thank you for the word that you have preserved in print or electronically, which we're reading this morning. For it is your word, which is living and active. It is for a reason that your word is called in Ephesians 6, the sword of the spirit. Lord, we're at, we're at war. And there is a real enemy. There's an enemy around us. There's an enemy within us, the flesh. And Spirit, we're asking this morning that you would wield your sword, your word, in that battle this morning. Help us accomplish your purposes through your word. Encourage us this morning, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, keep on guard and keep growing. And our first point this morning is guard. Keep on guard. Verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability. See, Peter, in his final words of his last letter, is affectionately addressing, you could say, his spiritual children. Beloved. Certainly, those he's speaking to as Christians are beloved, those who belong to God and his beloved. But we also, I believe Peter is saying this with an affectionate as well longing for those to whom he is speaking. We see this protective tenderness of a father and it's clear to the very end. And here are his fatherly words. Take care. That's how it says it in the ESV version. If you have another version, maybe the New American Standard Version, the NIV, you read these words, be on your guard. In other words, take care, my children, i.e., be on your guard. I can almost hear my parents all these years later telling me (laughs) for very good reason, Corey, (laughs) watch out, be careful as you get on the road, be safe, take care. You know, I said the same thing to my children today. They're used to hearing it, right? They're about to get on the road and drive. And I'm saying, do you have enough gas? Check the gas. All right. It's heavy commute time. Watch out. Be alert. Don't play the radio too loud. All these things. Now, they know I'm going to say it, right? Be careful. It just feels right as a parent. It's just assuring to be able to express that and for them to hear, to remind them. Because we all need reminders, don't we? We do. You need reminders. I need reminders. We need spiritual reminders. And that's what Peter has been doing throughout his whole letter. And it's no different right here at the end. He's giving us a warning worthy of repeating. Worthy of repeating. So why exactly should we Christians be on guard? Well, Peter clearly states the reason why. You see it there in your text, verse 17 that we may not be carried away with the air of lawless people. Notice, notice the passive verb here, carried away. It's so easy, isn't it, to spiritually drift? We, we don't have to work at it, do we, to drift? It just happens quite naturally. We don't set out to drift. 
and to be carried away. It happens with little or no effort. Thus the exhortation to be on guard, take care. Well, how might we drift as believers, as Christians, as those who profess their faith in the living Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, in the context of this letter, Peter is clearly speaking of those who have denied Christ in his second coming. Those who are seeking to live lives unaccountable to God. Lawless lives according to the dictates of their flesh. It was quite a few years ago, and I was scuba diving in the Florida Keys. It was wintertime, and well, the current was quite swift. And the visibility was probably about three to five feet. Literally, I could barely see my hand in front of me as I was in the water. Why I was diving on that day, I do not know. Why was the charter boat going out on that day? I do not know. Well, I do know. It's money, right? And they had suckers like me who were on the boat who wanted to dive and had taken a trip all the way from Orlando to come down and dive. I wasn't going to be denied. So I went on the boat and I went diving. I'm not sure what you could see. I knew that ahead of time, but I went anyway. Well, to be safe, the captain of this charter dropped a weighted line 60 feet down into the water. He said, hold on tight as you go down because the current is swift. So I, you know, I heeded the instruction, went down to 60 feet. I mean, Okay, here I am. What do you do? I'm holding on to the rope. Well, you let go. You're down there to swim, right? To see the reef, to see the sea life, to be free, you know, to to feel the current. I mean, that's why I paid the big bucks to dive in the first place, not to hold on to a rope, you know? So my partner and I started swimming around, and then we had to surface. Our air was limited, as it is in scuba diving. The deeper you go, the less time you have, so we had to surface. And when you surface, you have to do a little safety stop before you go to the top. Well, the time we got to the top and surfaced in the rolling waves, we were nearly one mile from our dive boat. That's how far we had been carried away by the current. And by God's grace, there just happened to be a small Coast Guard craft nearby who picked us up and delivered us back to our dive boat, to our relief and chagrin, all in one. We had been carried away by the current. For all we knew, we were going to Cuba. (laughs) And we couldn't swim back on our own strength. But what happened that day? It's pretty simple. We let go of the rope. You see, Peter is rightly concerned that his readers did not let go of the rope, which is, or I should say, who is Christ. He is the plumb line. He is the anchor. Take care. Hold on. Don't let go. And don't let anyone take this rope from you and what you know to be true. You see, when we were scuba diving and I let go, you know what? I thought I was becoming free. I could swim where I wanted to swim, see what I wanted to see, do what I wanted to do. But I wasn't free. I was foolish. So it was. Putting our very lives in danger. You see, so were the false teachers who Peter has been writing about in this text. And so were their followers who were denying Christ's return. He's not coming back to judge. 
and promoting freedom to live as you want to live. See, Peter goes on. He first says, yes, be on guard. Then he says, or else you will lose your own stability or strength. If the above warning to be on guard revolves around letting go, drifting, being carried away, but the latest devious teachings, political correctness, cultural mores, whatever they may be. The second warning is about losing one's sure footing, about being in a weakened state. See, by the time I got back to the dive boat in the earlier story, I was exhausted. My footing was anything but stable on that rocking boat in the high seas. But it was more than just that. I wasn't just unstable in my footing when I got back to the boat. You know what? This is even worse. I was unsure of myself. I didn't trust my own discernment. How did I get here in the first place? I started to second guess my own abilities and confidence in my discernment, given what had just happened. Maybe it describes you. Maybe you're there. Maybe you have been there in the past on your spiritual journey. You begin to doubt your convictions and what is true. See, we live in a day and age in which skepticism, it's cool. It's sophisticated. And to hold clear biblical convictions is mocked. It's mocked in academia. It's mocked in political life. And it's generally today disallowed in the public square. And when this happens, and when we confront this, we can easily lose our spiritual footing. If we're not careful, we can fall. Now, I don't believe Peter is saying we can lose one's salvation. That's not what Peter is talking about. But I believe what he is talking about is second-guessing God's grace, that which has been given to us by Christ. Second-guessing the promises made by Christ. Doubting what we know to be true and what we've been taught. Have you ever been there? Doubting. Second-guessing. Your convictions begin to wane or your fear begins to reign. And you feel vulnerable. Just a little unsure of just what you really believe when it comes down to it about Christ. And your own even ability to discern what is right and true. Well, if you felt that, or maybe you feel that a little bit today, let me assure you, the human author here, Peter, he also experienced that. Remember who's writing to us this morning. It's Peter. It's the cocksure Peter. Remember Peter? Remember, you know the story. Peter knew what it was to lose his own stability and footing, so to speak. For he was the one that was so confident in his faith with Christ. He even said to Christ, to him, to his face, I'm ready to go to prison and to die for you, Lord. And yet Peter knew what it was like to fall and to fall hard. You know the story. At the greatest moment in redemptive history, Peter denied Christ. Not once. Not twice, but three times. But yet the same Peter who denied Christ, oh, was also familiar with his amazing grace. 
It was Peter, confused, about ready to hang it up and go back to fishing. When Christ recommissioned Peter and strengthened Peter to go shepherd and strengthen his flock. You know what? Peter's faith didn't fail. It didn't fail. Just as Christ had prayed for Peter in the garden. It did not fail. How do we know? He's writing to us. We have his text in his letter this morning. He's the one writing now in 2 Peter. And he's the one saying to his readers, you, this emphatic you, in contrast to the ignorant and unstable. Those he's referencing the previous verse. He says, be on guard. Take care. You have stability. You have grace in the knowledge of Christ. Don't lose it. But Peter knew something else as well. Being on guard against false teaching, doubters, and scoffers, it's necessary, but it's not sufficient. It's only half the battle. You see, the Christian life is more than just holding your ground and contending for the truth. We need to do that, yes. But the Christian life is about moving forward and growing in grace, growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we've been taught. It's learning to apply that grace. For Peter, he knew the best defense to guard is a good offense to grow. To quote one commentator, David Helm, which I'll put up there, do that for us, Tyler, says this, find this helpful. While we are saved by faith alone, Our faith must grow if we are to keep from falling while traveling home. Our faith must grow if we're to keep from falling while traveling home. And that leads to the second and final point. Not only do we, point number one, guard, but we're called to grow. Look at it right there in verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. We'll grow here. You see it right there. But grow in the grace. Grow can be properly interpreted, interpreted as keep growing. Okay, it's active, present, verb tense, imperative. I mean, keep growing. In other words, our growing should be ongoing. All right? Now, we may physically stop growing. What age? 18, sometimes before, maybe a little after. We stop physically growing in height. I grow this way. Stop growing this way, okay? But as Christians, we never stop growing. Growing in what? Growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. This is where that stability comes in. But what does this mean? I think at its heart, it means this. When it says to keep growing or to grow, it's to keep growing in our relationship with Christ. Grace, and keep growing in our understanding of Christ, knowledge. They really go hand in hand, don't they? This grace and knowledge, right? The more you know about Christ, the more you're going to know and understand his grace and grow and grow. But I don't know about you, when I hear that term, but grow in the grace and knowledge, it's still hard to get my mind around what that exactly means. And the knowledge of Christ? Well, God is infinite. How can I 
know all there is about God and about Christ, all the promises in the Bible, and it, it can be a little overwhelming. Like, what, what does that mean? Well, I just want to, maybe, hopefully this helps you, it helps me, it's just a visual, it's not perfect, but a visual that might help us in understanding what this means to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I put two images up there. One's an image of the cross, and, and also you'll see an image of a crown, those two. And we live right there, okay? There's a little guy, that's you and me, that little stick figure, right? We're in the already not yet, Christ has come. I believe what it's talking about is this. To grow in the grace is to grow in understanding. It's to look back at Christ's first coming, the cross. But to grow is also, as a believer, to look forward. And that's represented by the crown in Christ's second coming. All right? Now, Christ came as a king, but he died. He rose again and ascended now as a victorious and conquering king who is about to come back to dwell with his own. To grow in the grace is learning to look back at the cross. In the second slide there, what God has accomplished for us in Christ. But it's also to look forward to what God has promised for us in Christ. When he will return to judge the living and the dead, he will come to consummate his kingdom and to dwell with his people in a new heaven and new earth. To grow is to grow in an understanding of who Christ is, what he's done for us at the cross, and what he's promised to do upon his return. So if I had to sum up the Christian life, it's the growing and understanding of the cross and the crown and how they relate to our lives, our everyday lives. Looking back, looking forward. And it's these core truths of the gospel which are going to be questioned and attacked. And it's these truths that we must vigilantly guard as believers. In fact, it's these truths, the cross and the crown, Christ's first coming and his second coming, which Peter has been hitting on in this whole letter by way of reminder. If we can go back to chapter one, go back in our minds several months ago, or you can even look there, it's Christ coming. What he accomplished for us at the cross. When a believed and applied, that keeps us, what? From being ineffective or unfruitful in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says in chapter 1 of the second book, epistle, it's the cross which keeps us from living as those who have forgotten. Forgotten what? That we've been cleansed, that we've been forgiven by Christ But it's also not just what he accomplished in his first coming, but it's also learning to look forward to his second coming. That's what we've been speaking about in chapter 3 of 2 Peter, looking forward to Christ's return. He indeed is returning, and there is a day we will dwell with him in the new heavens and the new earth. See, that is a truth that I need to meditate upon. I need to grow in. I need to feed my soul with. You do, and I do as well. These are truths that we must guard. And it's truths that Peter is reminding us of. Now, if the false teachers denied Christ's second coming, they got it wrong, you better believe they also got his first coming wrong as well. And it's no coincidence, is it? We must guard these precious truths. We must live in the good of them each day. That's how we fight sin, and that's how we grow. Each day, Church, I need to look back. 
I need to remember my sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. That I've been made righteous in Christ. I need to know and I need to hear again that I am a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. I need to hear again of my identity in Christ, that I am a child of God, that I'm a friend of Jesus. He is not the enemy and I'm not his. But each day, I and you as well need to look forward to Christ's return. We need to be sober, but the fact that Christ is returning to judge every work and deed of mankind, to judge the living and the dead. But we need to also be comforted by the same reality that by his grace, we have been saved and will be delivered into glory. A day in which there'll be no more suffering and no more pain. That I can't hold on in this life. But more than that, I have a role and you have a role until Christ returns to hasten the day of Christ's return to be used of him for his glory. Pastor and author Jonathan Dixon put it this way, speaking of Christ, the promise of his return to judge and to consummate his kingdom. He says this, quote, God prods with his holy warnings and woos us with his staggering promises so that we can live lives of obedience. Do you know those warnings in Scripture? Do you also know the promises that are yours in Christ Jesus? Many of them are right here in 2 Peter. We need to be warned, don't we, of Christ's return, but we also need to be wooed by what Christ has done and what he's promising to do for us, his glorious return. So not only do we look back at the cross, we look forward to his return. You see, church, we cannot live on spiritual autopilot. The Christian life is about continuing and learning to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about mining the gospel. It's about living in the good of it each day and sharing that good with others. That's why we study. That's why we pray. That's why we sing corporately to God, but also to one another, to affirm these truths. Then they sink down into our souls. That's why we gather, to know Christ more, to glorify Christ more, and to enjoy Christ more. This is what we'll be doing, church, for all eternity. You understand, we're never going to stop growing. You may think, well, what, once, eventually here, I'll die here on earth and go to heaven. You understand, you're not going to be omniscient in heaven. Only God is all-knowing. You're still going to be human in heaven. Glorified bodies, perfected, but you're still going to be human. You're never going to be all-knowing as God is. That means there will always be more for you to learn and more for you to grow in. I believe that growing that we're doing here on earth will continue into heaven. It'll even accelerate once we're there without the weight of sin. See, for all eternity, we'll be growing. We will never stop growing. And it'll be our eternal delight. All of our studying here on earth, all of this rehearsing of the gospel, you say, well, I've already heard that before, Corey. I know you have, but you need the reminder and so do I that we may grow in the good of it. Are you living in the good of it? Is it informing how you live? 
Does it give you courage to face tomorrow? Does it give you consolation when you sin? Does it lead you to greater and greater worship of your Savior? Is it functioning in your life? You see, in heaven, we will never, ever exhaust God's grace. We will never come to a complete knowledge of Christ. The cross and the crown will ever be before us. Many of you have read the book of Revelation. It's fascinating the images we get of the throne room of God. Jesus is simultaneously seen and perceived in John's vision as what? A lamb who was slain. But then we see him right away also as the lion of the tribe in Judah, the conquering king. They're both in the throne room. What we see in heaven is the cross and the crown, a slain lamb and a conquering king. And if you think gathering around the throne and studying Christ, knowing him more is boring, please take a look at Revelation chapter 4 and 5 in particular. Oh, it's anything but boring or stagnant. It's loud. It's exuberant worship. It's fresh as inhabitants behold Christ. Why would it be any difference? As we learn in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, which I'll put up there on the screen. And we all, with unveiled face, listen to this, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image of our Lord and Savior from one degree of glory to another. You catch that? Even now, here on earth, as we behold Christ, as we see him for who he is and what he's done, as God enlightens our hearts and gets us spiritual eyes to see Christ, we grow. We are being transformed. We are being changed. If that's true here on earth, and we see dimly, we see in part, we see through a veil, so to speak, how much more would that be true when we see him face to face in heaven, when we behold Christ for who he is? Oh, we will be undone, but we will also be transformed. We will be changing. We will be growing more and more like him as God destined us, chose us to do. Let's look at Ephesians 2, verses 4, 6, and 7 as well. Listen to this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, we're going to go down to verse 6. This is what he did in his love for us raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why did he do that? Verse 7, here it is. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? I think what it means is you, but if you're in Christ this morning, you place your saving faith in Christ, you have been raised with Christ to eternal life. But why? Verse 7. So that in the coming ages, i.e. heaven, the new heavens and new earth, he might show the immeasurable riches, immeasurable, inexhaustible riches of his grace in kindness towards you, towards us. In Christ Jesus. Why? That we may progressively grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ as we behold his glory. 
No wonder Peter could end his letter with these words, this song of praise. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Growing is about seeing the glory of God. Growing is about increasing our capacity to know him and enjoy him in all his glory now and forevermore. And you can't do that on spiritual autopilot. It takes work. It takes study. It takes prayer. It takes meditating upon his word. It takes fellowship. It takes sharing our faith as well. It takes guarding and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the irony, church. Finishing well, the title of today's message, means that we're never finished growing. Simply put, we never outgrow going. Excuse me. We never outgrow growing. Friends, are you growing? I mean, are you growing in the grace and knowledge of our Savior? I'm not asking, are you perfect? I'm not asking, do you fall at times and stumble and have doubts? But are you growing by God's grace and in his grace and knowledge of his grace? Are you availing yourself of the opportunity God has given you in your life to grow, whether it be in this church or another context as well? Are you leaning forward? Are you growing? You see, we are here as a church to help you do just that, that we would grow together. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings to connect to God, connect to God and one another, to connect, but also grow to grow together. Why? That we may then go and share what we have experienced and been given and entrusted in the gospel to others. Growing is part of going. That's what we're about as a church. That's why we're assembled here today. And we want to help you. Maybe you're here this morning and I get this. You're just feeling stagnant. Growth in your life, if you're really honest, has just been imperceptive. If you're growing, you have no clue how you're growing. You just feel like you've been in the same spot for a long, long time. If that's you this morning, we would love to pray for you. We're going to have a time in just a few moments when we worship through song. And if you say, I just want prayer, we would love to pray for you. Or maybe there's someone next to you, a friend that you know and trust. Just, hey, can you pray for me? I feel stagnant in my faith. That vibrancy is not there that once was there. I want to grow. I want to know the truth of what we're talking about this morning. Maybe some of you, you just, you stumble, you've fallen, and frankly, you can't get up. Oh, we'd love to help you. Extend our arm, faith and in prayer, to help you this morning. Not to judge you, to help you. We'd love to pray for you as well. Maybe you're here and there's just been creeping doubt in your mind. Spiritual confusion. Just downright fear. You know the right answers. You've been here for maybe months, years. But man, it's growing. You're not even sure what you believe. Oh, God wants to strengthen you this morning. And we want to come alongside the church as your friends and to pray for you and to strengthen you. 
And maybe you're just here, and you're, you're hungry to grow. I said, this is, this is exactly what I want, Corey. This is exactly what I need. But I don't know how to do it. I want to grow, but help me. Give me some tracks. Someone help me. Oh, we would love to talk to you, come alongside you, to encourage you, and maybe present some ways that we can help you, and the church can help serve you as you grow more and more into his image. So if that's you, I'd love to pray for you. So I'd like to ask this now. The worship team to come on up. Let us sing the first song, You Are Our Hope. And as we do that, I'd like to invite Alan Desi up and those community group leaders and wives, if they're able, to come on up. And if that described to you, any of those individuals that I presented before you, would you come on up or would you talk to someone next to you? We would love to pray for you now. So with that in mind, let us pray. Let's ready our hearts to conclude this last song and prayer. Let's bow our heads, church. Well, Lord, we thank you that you chose us not because we were holy and blameless, because we weren't. But it says in Ephesians 1, oh Lord, that you chose us that we might become holy and blameless. Lord, there is a work that you are committed to in our lives, and it's for us to grow and to be conformed more and more into the image of Christ. Lord, we want your will to be done. Lord, have your way in us. But Lord, you know, as your creatures, even as your people, we're sometimes weak. We can feel frail. Would you strengthen us now? As we sing this song, you are our hope. May this not just be words. Would hope rise up in our hearts as we affirm what we know to be true. May you confirm that in our hearts. For those of us who are weak, may you strengthen us. Put us on the solid walk through Christ and strengthen us now. Do your work by your spirit who is present to minister to us now. Not just present, but by your spirit who is eager to minister to us and point us to Christ, who you are, O Lord, and what you've promised to do for your people. We pray that all in the name of our wonderful Savior. Amen.